what can you expect from God? That fourth question. And I've suggested here that what can I expect from God is to be taken into his care. <clears throat> now, there are several things that we've looked at in Psalm 23 as you're turning there. That was there, wasn't it? Taken in his personal care, the Lord is my shepherd. It's personal. Number two, it's taken in his care, he makes me lie down. That I can expect pause or rest in this relationship. A really important principle. We've talked about this a couple times. C, <clears throat> taken into his care provision. He provides for me green grass. He provides for me still waters. And he leads me in paths of righteousness. And so that provision that we don't have to uh, figure our own way out. That's where we ended last week. That, that we have the uh, assurance, if you will, of, of his provision. And then today what we're going to look at is taking into his care participation. So let's read the 23rd Psalm here, if you'll follow along with me just uh, so we keep hearing it. Uh, you know, Larry has asked us for the last month to read it every day and to let it sort of get down into our souls. And it goes like this. As you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet or still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness or mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This probably is, uh, beside John 3.16, the most famous passage of Scripture in the world. Uh, people that may be religious or non-religious uh, have some affection or some awareness uh, of this particular uh, psalm. And so in working through it, it seems to me, again, what can I expect from God if I'm one of his sheep? If he's my shepherd, uh, what can I expect and so this idea here of participation, we're going to be looking at verse 4 uh, pretty, pretty carefully as we can. We're going to look at verse 4 is this matter of participation. I'm using that word, participation, uh, to help us to try to understand how is God uh, further involved in our life? How is he uh, related in that? And I, I would say this, that in, in raising sheep, uh, there probably is no more intensive relationship between an animal and its uh, owner, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, I was thinking about this. Becky's father was a, uh, a rancher, and he raised cattle, and um, we would always talk about putting them out to pasture. That meant we were going to send them out there by themselves. I've been told that a couple of times, and I, it has a whole different meaning. <laughs> Have you been? I feel like I'm getting put out to pasture. Um, <clears throat> um, uh, that when you put cattle out to pasture, you, they're pretty much on their own. I mean, you know, they take care. But in, in terms of a shepherd, especially in the ancient Near East, where Jesus is from, uh, and where shepherding has been for millennia, that there is this unusual participation of a shepherd uh, with respect to being with them and living with them. I read a, a, an article some time ago about a shepherd in Wyoming uh, that was sleeping... Um, on a cot and kind of a little makeshift thing while the sheep are out there all through the fall and the winter. And it shocked me. I thought, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that there was that kind of participation. Uh, but sheep are particularly, I'll say this later, they're not particularly dumb. 
dumber than the other animals, uh, but they are particularly defenseless. Uh, they have really uh, no uh, real, unless, you know, they rub up beside you and build up a lot of static electricity and shock you, you know. <laughs> that just comes to me sometimes, you know. <laughs> Maybe that's, I, but, but they are. They're not necessarily dumb. All, there are lots of animals that are dumb, uh, and I'll leave it at that. But uh, easy, easy. Uh, but they're defenseless. Uh, they don't have sharp claws. They don't have big teeth. They, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're fairly defenseless. And so the shepherd's participation with them uh, is really critical for the well-being of them. And so we want to look at this uh, as it relates to the participation so I'm going to look here, uh, first of all, in this matter of participation, number one here is this, facing the inevitable. That the participation with this shepherd, that we face the inevitable, I it, at least that's the way it looks to me. Notice where it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you're with me. Uh, I notice there in the passage, uh, it doesn't say, if, does it? It doesn't say if I. I remember Becky and I were in a conversation several years ago. She said, now, Cliff, if you die, and I, what? First of all, why are we talking about this? <clears throat> but second of all, it was, I think, hard for her to consider that the joy and the wonder of her life could die. <laughs> That's what she tells me, folks. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. It was interesting because I, I said, what did you just say? Besides that I'm the joy and the wonder of, no, no, she didn't say that. I don't think she's ever said that. If, and I'm like, did you, did you just hear yourself? I, I mean, I think one of the things about this shepherd that I want to deal with here is facing the inevitable. Something we don't like to do. Something we rarely talk about. Something we don't discuss and we put off till the very end. Jesus, or the, the writer here tells, and we'll talk about Jesus as the good shepherd, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow, it's, it's inevitable. Now, here, here's how we do this. I, I was thinking about this. Uh, several years ago, um, I uh, did a little study on uh, student loans. I don't know if you know it or not, but the student loan uh, situation in, in the United States is the second highest debt uh, of all people besides behind mortgages, $1.5 trillion. Dollars. Uh, that's why I never let my kids out of class early. I say, you're paying too much for this. <laughs> I tell them, never getting out early, ever. $1.5 trillion in student debt. Uh, it, it, you know, they're talking about it becoming a, like the tech balloon or the mortgage or the uh, mortgage balloon that will burst. And, you know, maybe some of us in here are still paying a school bill because uh, it's expensive. And, uh, uh you know, so, so you read about that. So I had a student come in my office. Uh, it just shocked me several years ago. Let's call him Bob. That's not his name, but let's call him that. Uh, had a student come in my office uh, one day and just said, uh, Cliff, I need to talk to you about going to seminary. Now, seminary, most of you know, I think, but I'll just be here. Seminary is where uh, uh, college students go uh, to get a master's degree in theology or biblical studies or archaeology. Like it's, it's a graduate school seminary where you, you learn about um, at a deeper level, the master's level. So he said to me, I, I'd like to talk to you about some seminaries. And the first thought in my mind, really, no kidding, was, huh? 
I mean, this guy wasn't particularly smart in class. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't a hard worker. Uh, he didn't show a lot of interest in his studies. I mean, I'm just sitting there thinking, hmm, that's interesting. I didn't say that, you know. If I, I have a little impulse control <laughs> occasionally. Uh, and, and so he's talking about graduate school, and, I, and I'm just I'm, I'm answering his question. I'm thinking, you know, what's the... What are, you, what are you talking about? I mean, he was interested in extracurricular activities. He played some of our sports, but he kept asking me about graduate. At some point, I said to him, I'm a bit surprised at your interest here in graduate school. Um, as a ministry major, uh, I just have to tell you, it's surprising. He said this to me. Well, I got to go to seminary. And I said, why is that? I thought, well, you know, some traditions require it. Some churches, uh, you know, um, We've talked about, you know, the Methodist church. You know, those are Baptists that can read. And uh, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Well, I sort of did. <laughs> but in the Methodist church, and I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, don't, like Marty, don't send me emails. Uh, uh, in the Methodist tradition, I mean, you can't be a pastor unless you have a master's degree. And so I thought, is he part of that tradition that, you know, requires it? And then some churches just do. He said, no. He said, uh, what's, and I said, so why, why this great interest in, in going to seminary? He said, uh, because I have a school bill, and if I don't get back in school in 90 days, I'm going to have to pay it off. And I said, just a second. Let me, let me ask you a question here. You're going to go back to school to borrow more money to keep from paying the money you already owe. And he said, yeah. And, and I, I went, were you in my classes? <laughs> now, say that for this. He's avoiding what? The inevitable. He's thinking he's going to avoid it. But with the new laws, and thing, you, you're not going to get out of school bills. So facing the inevitable. Notice what the writer says here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, this is an interesting phrase here because there's some translation you may even see in your Bible. The valley of the shadow of death, it's a combination word in Hebrew that means shade or shadow. And then it has the idea of darkness, shade or sh sh deep darkness, in other words. Some have translated it to mean death. And if you search this word, and I, I've shared with you before, how do you determine what a word really means? Is you should, whenever you're trying to understand where a word is, when you don't have a marker, um, I could do my finger here, uh, that the way you find it is you look where the word occurs in the book, and then you look throughout the rest of the book where that word occurs, because that will tell you how the author is using it. And then if you can't come to some determination by checking the book, you check the same author, Did David write anything else. You look here. I just want to say that the, the, the result of this is I think it's unclear as to whether or not this passage means even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or even though I walk through the dark shadows of darkness. It may or may not. Uh, now, you've heard maybe that, that, uh, this, there, that, that, that David is referring to an actual location in Israel, that there's a deep ravine valley. There is no such evidence for that. That there's an actual valley of the shat called that. You know, that sometimes people say, well, there was a big valley that people had to walk through. Doesn't seem to be any evidence for that. What we have here 
is at least at some level that David is saying, even though I walk, if you will, the deep shadows of darkness, or even if I walk through the shadow of death, you're with me. I think that maybe, maybe it's good that it is perhaps both, or could be. If a deep, dark shadow is death, the fact is he's still there. If the deep, dark shadow is an illness, or a, or a, or a marriage that comes apart, or a, or a child that seems to be going in the wrong direction, or the loss of a career at a very difficult time in life, whatever that is, whatever that deep, dark shadow is, David seems to be suggesting, even though I walk that. So, I mean, listen, most of us have been through some deep valleys and we're still here, right? Right? Can I get a witness here? Yeah, we, we've been through some deep, dark shadows in the valley. And David is simply saying here, if even when that happens. So I, I just want to uh, draw your attention to the idea that this may not be limited to death. This, this may not be. David may be making a very strong statement about the inevitability of life, even though I walk through deep, dark, difficult times. You're with me. It's not reserved just for death. I'm just telling you the way that the word is put together, and you, if you have interest in that. It, now, it's taken on this idea of the dark shadow of the battle of death, because in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he actually refers to that. If you've read Pilgrim's Progress, uh, he, he actually refers to this passage and talks about the valley of the shadow of death. It's used in, um, in I was kind of surprised I did more research on this. It, it, there are certain songs that are written by this. Here, it's the valley of the shadow of death, 1978. It's a single by the throbbing gristle. I'm sure that's on your playlist somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure that's on your iTunes list, isn't it? Throbbing gristle, those guys are just fantastic. Mercy. Anybody can write a song. <laughs> um, uh, the Valley of the Shadow of Death alluded to this in the narrated life of Frederick Douglass, an American slave, and his life. So, so this imagery is deeply held in our culture and our consciousness and like that. But it seems to me that what, what, what David is really trying to say is even though I go through dark shadows, and we'll get to this here in a second, but he just says, you're with it. You don't have to wait for this till you die. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to wait for this dark shadow that you have to go through to be some promise at death. Uh, this is a reminder, I think, of the inevitable nature of life. That life, I, you, maybe you read this book years ago by M. Scott Peck called The Road Less Traveled. It was a bestseller on the New York bestseller list for like 50 or 60 weeks. Uh, and he, the, the opening line of the book says this, Life is difficult. Once you get reconciled to this truth, you can start living. <laughs> right? Because for many of us at times, we've sort of been sold this line of thought that life's easy. And it should be simple. And it shouldn't be difficult. And there shouldn't be these dark shadows, especially if you're a Christian, right? Because we've been told, you know, if you're a Christian, you're going to be good and things are going to be great. All your kids are going to be born with straight teeth, right? But this inevitability of the struggle, difficulty of life, I think, is something 
David suggests is something not reserved just for death. For life. Jerry? Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. For the recording that David had people trying to assassinate him, run around him. It wasn't like he was living this just, you know, charmed life all the time. And the reality is, I think we do harm to people sometimes if we don't help them face the inevitability. Life is difficult and there are problems and there are challenges and it isn't even we all think it's got to be even. Everybody's got to have the same experience if they're followers of Jesus, and it isn't. That's the amazing thing to me about life. It isn't even. Now, this idea, the passage reveals some inevitable truths. Let me give you a couple of them here. We're going to work around some scripture here. But I just want you to underline your Bible. Even though, even though there is no if in the text. There is no contingency like this could happen or it might not happen or it's possible it could happen. There is no contingency here. It is even though, and understanding it as a fact, that there are dark valleys that we go through in trouble. Remember what Jesus said? John 16, 33. And turn to that. John 16, 33. What did Jesus say? You got it? John 16, 33, these things, he says, what he's been talking about, referring to, declaring about the Holy Spirit, about his life, about his death, his resurrection. He said, these things I've spoken to you so that in me, you'll have peace. Notice the other use of the preposition in. In the world, you're going to have what? Trouble. You ought to, under, you ought to underline those prepositions. In me. Or in the world? Where are you going to be? Now, we're in the world, we know, but not of the world. But Jesus makes a very distinguishing statement here. In me, you're going to have peace. You need to understand this, Cliff. In the world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so even though you and I, and I, and I, I always, when, I, uh, when I'm preparing this kind of stuff, this material when I'm getting ready to teach, I always worry a little bit that, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's got sense of humor. I don't, maybe not, but I think sometimes God makes teachers go through what they teach. And it worries me. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm doing my very best to apply this to my own life and, and do these things and live like this. But every once in a while I think, hmm, what, what, how are you doing there, Cliff? How are you, how are you handling darkness or difficulty or, or things like that? How are you? are you? Are you living this? Are you walking this out? You know, you can translate the verbs all you want to. But is that what you're living? Is that what you're applying in your own life? So Jesus said, in me, that's where we live, you're going to have peace. In the world, you're going to have trouble. Some, some of the question here would be, how much am I in? And that, this may be a dumb way to say this, but it's the only way I can think of it. When I'm living my life, is my life characterized because I'm in Jesus? In Jesus. 
Or is my life pretty demonstrably identifiable that I'm in the world? That I take the world's values and ideas and concepts? You know, when Doug uh, said uh, this morning, uh, praying for people, and I, um, I just thought, you know, is my, is my value system and is my life more in Jesus or, or in the world? Because I remind you again, I, I met a fellow from Germany this week, um, really smart guy. Um, and he had done his doctoral dissertation and we, on a particular area. We were discussing it. And um, he, uh, as we talked about this, I said to him, I said, Martin, would you agree? Because he'd done his work on the in Christ uh, passages. You know, we've talked about that 64 different times. You are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And I said to him, would you agree? You think I'm right here? You know, the president of the university is standing there. So if I'm right, I want him to hear it. <laughs> if I'm not, we're going to throw some Greek words around that he doesn't know. And then I can get out of there. <clears throat> yeah. And I said, would you, would you agree that it's a false understanding of the Christian life? Or, or that the common understanding of the Christian life is that I don't ask Jesus into my life. He asks me and offers me to come into his life. Think of the difference there. In Christ, not Christ. Now, Paul says Christ in me. I know that. But the majority of uses of this preposition are that you are in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. That, that the Christian life or the, the life with this shepherd is not so much that Jesus is in your life, but that you've been invited into his life. That's where life is. In him. Not him in me. See, the idea, if I ask him into my life, I've still got a little control over him in here. Yeah, you can come in. Take that room over there. But when he's saying, Cliff, come into my life. What a, that's been a game changer for me. 64 times Paul says this. You are in Christ. So he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can still have peace because where am, I, where am I? I am in him, in Jesus. In me, you'll have peace. In the world, you're going you're gonna to have trouble. Uh, last week, a couple things happened and kind of disturbed me more than normal. But, uh, <laughs> but um, just a couple things happened and kind of knocked me off kilter a little bit in a couple areas at work and I'm driving home and as I'm doing that I'm thinking um, Cliff are you that fragile that a couple of things happen and kind of knocks your peace out that may be because your peace is not in this world in the circumstances it's in him now, I'm not saying that, you know, we just are happy and thrilled that bad things happen, but it was a real, it was kind of a wake-up call to me. That's why I was kind of having to live this. To say, how fragile is your peace? How, how fragile is your well-being with the circumstances of your job or life or situations? Is it in Jesus? See, even though I walk through the deep, dark valley, you're with me. There are dark valleys. 2 Corinthians, I'll just give you this and quote it to you. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. Uh, 
Well, I, the Apostle Paul, I've spent a lot of time, they, they've accused me at the university that I like Paul more than Jesus. <laughs> Could be some need here for me to adjust because I, I do love the epistles. But, but the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9 makes this statement. He said, we don't want you to be unaware about the affliction we went through in Asia. He says, we were, we were pressed out of ourselves so much. Notice it says this now. We despaired even of life. Wow. You're writing the New Testament. We need to get somebody else. <laughs> right? There was so much difficulty, so much darkness, so much, if you will, the valley, the shadow he's in. He said, we, we don't want you to be ignorant. Hey, here's what happened to us. This is the Apostle Paul and Timothy. And he said, we despaired of life. He said, this was to cause us to trust God and not in ourselves. Can Christians go through deep, dark valleys? You betcha. The, the idea here is that Paul said, we were pressed out of everything. Listen, this guy's writing the New Testament. He knows all the promises, right? Because <laughs> he'd been writing them. He knows all the great theological truths. He knows all of that. He's had this experience with Jesus, but he said, this valley that we're going through was so difficult that we would despair of life. I know some of us have been there. And it's been a passage of time for us to find God's strength and God's grace. Trouble occurs in our hearts and our souls when we forget that there are valleys that we're going to go through. We add another problem. We say we have the problem, and then we start asking why, 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 why is this problem? What did I do wrong? How bad am I? No, no. It's just the human experience, even though I go through the dark valley. I, I thought of this uh, verse, and you can write it down and look at it later if you want to. This is not unusual, but I thought of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? They were faithful and followers of God, and now they're getting thrown into a fiery furnace. And the king tries to appeal to them and say to them, look, you can get out of this fiery furnace if you'll just bow down and worship this image I've made. And these guys are just incredible. And they say, oh, king, uh, we don't need any time for this. We're not going to bow down to your idol. Our God is able to deliver us. But here's the, remember that? Remember this one? You remember this? Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. So we don't need any more time to think about this. We don't need any more discussions. We don't need more groups. Even if he doesn't, we won't. Think about that. This idea, we're, we, even if he doesn't, we won't do this. The fiery trial is coming. Now, notice that with them and us, I want us to look at this. Declare the incredible. <clears throat> Face the inevitable, declare the incredible. Look at this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Now, New American Standard there in verse 4, the word for is there. I think it may be in the ESV. I'm not sure. But the word for there is a conjunction that suggests meaning or a reason or evidence. So he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think this is incredible. <laughs> I think this is incredible that he says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your presence doesn't mean I don't walk through it. 
your, your presence with me doesn't mean that I get to avoid the valley. Your, your presence in my life doesn't mean that, you know, everything gets pulled out of the way. It's kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, even if our God doesn't, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to bow down here. It's incredible. This idea of I will fear no evil declares this incredible statement because you are with me. Now, I got a slide here, I think. I've, I've done a couple things here. Uh, Eric Jones sent this to me the other day, and I thought, smart Alec. And uh, saw this in Germany. It's a sign here under Psalm 42. Ich bin kein Angst. It means I will fear no evil. He thought I needed that. I thought I needed that. That trail, that line out there, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Now, there's lots of things here that suggest uh, our, maybe suggest our attention here. Notice here um, uh, the idea of fear. I read a Pew report that said Americans are terribly fearful. Uh, And we can feel it at times, can't we? There seems to be a lot of fear. In fact, here are some of the results of that. Here are the top 10 fears as of 217. Uh, Corruption of the government, health care, pollution of the oceans and lakes and rivers, pollutions of drinking water, not having enough money for the future, high medical bills, that the U.S. will be involved in another world war, Global warming and climate change. North Korea will use nuclear weapons and air pollution. Top 10. A lot of fear. There's a lot of fear with people. And it seems to to grasp us. And David says here, even though I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear. Why? What's the purpose? Why why is he not going to fear here? What does it say? You're with me. Isn't that amazing? It isn't that there aren't things to be fearful of. It isn't that there aren't dark valleys to walk through. It isn't that matter. It's, if you will, I'll fear no evil. Back up. I will fear no evil. That this shepherd is with us. Who is he? You remember the word they use here in verse 1? Who's this shepherd? Does your Bible have all capital letters? Huh? Are they all capital? You know what that means, right? That's the word Yahweh. Now, there are lots of terms for this shepherd or God because the Jewish people are very concerned to not use the Lord's name in vain. They will not say it. They won't vocalize it. If they're reading along in Scripture and they see this, if it's written, sometimes it isn't written. Often it's just four blank dashes. Y-H-W-H. They won't say it. So, Or if they do see it, if it is in the text and they're reading along, and they'll be reading and say, and then, may his name be praised, delivered Israel with a strong right arm. They won't say it. There's the word Elohim. It's the word found in Genesis 1. A, a, a shortened version, El, that we get lots of El Shaddai, El Shema, El Rohi, uh, all, all of these other derivatives, my favorite one is El Roy. That's a literal translation. It is. It means the God who sees. 
That's the God, that's the name that showed up when, when Hagar was out with Ishmael. And she says, finally, I do know that the God, God sees Elroy. So you can remember that one. This is Yahweh, which is the sacred name. The one who says, I am. I am that I am. The sacred one. So he says, I will not fear because you're with me. You're with me. That's a fascinating statement. It's, it's amazing to some of us because I have thought as I've worked with people and myself, how often do I live with a sense that God is with me? It's funny, I've said this to you before. When you go through trouble, through a dark valley, sometimes we feel what? Where are you, God? Have you ever felt that? If you've ever read the Bible, you hear people say that question. Where are you? Where are you in the midst of all this? I'm not trying to be some kind of sloppy agape here that, you know, that, that you just always feel God's presence. But the promise here is that you are with me, this faithful covenant God. Yahweh is the name of the covenant God. This is the sacred name, the covenant, the one who keeps covenant. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's why he does not fear. Uh, notice, I want to just give you a few passages. You can look at these later. We can talk about them. In Matthew 1, to 23, what was Jesus' name? Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. This God is the God who wants to be with you. This is the God who said, I want to, I want to be with you. I'm fascinated by that. In Matthew 18, 20, the scriptures say, where two or three are gathered, what? I'm in their midst. What? I'm, I'm what? I'm with them. In Matthew 28, 20, in Matthew 28, 20, at the end of this statement about going to all the world and preach the gospel in every nation and make disciples, he says, and I am with you to the end of the age. Yeah, always. Into the age. I want you to look at this one, though. Go to your table of contents and find the book of Hebrews. So I want to talk about this, that God is with us. That God is with us. Go to Hebrews. It's toward the back of the New Testament. In my Bible, it's page 1148. Go to chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13. This again is this idea, I will not fear, not because the valley isn't deep, not because the problem isn't bad, not because it isn't tough, because you're with me. You're with me. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 we'll look at. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. You've got to pay a little attention to this. Two different words. I will never or ever. I will never. I will never desert you. Nor will I ever Leave you. Forsake you. That's, that's this, the hope. The trust. He is with us. He's with us. 
Now, for some of us, I, you know, just trying to work through this because I'm not a person that has a lot of good feelings. Uh, well, I don't, that's not the way to say that. <laughs> that's not the way to say that. I mean this. I'm a nice person, sort of. But uh, I don't mean I have a lot of feelings, right? I don't have a lot of them. Just don't. I've had to live by faith. And I know others have too. I'm, I'm happy, sort of, and envious of people that have feelings. You know, I used to have a couple and I got rid of them. And uh, <clears throat> they were useless. Maybe do stupid stuff for me. And I don't. And, um, and I've wrestled with that. And so in lots of ways, for me to know that God is with me, I've had to, and I'll give more details here in a minute, but we know that God is with us because his word promises it. His spirit attempts to communicate it. And his people manifest it. His word promises it. His spirit communicates himself. And his people demonstrate it to us. Uh, and I'll tell you why. I, I think for some of us, the idea that God is really with us, that God is really good, is a hard thing to get our head around. I, I honestly believe what one of my professors said in seminary one time when he said, Cliff, the root of all worry is that God is not really good. That's the root of it right there. He's not really good. And he's not really good, so he won't be with you when you need him. That helped me to begin to address that, to face it and say, this area of worry or anxiety isn't, it may have all kinds of different, I'm not a doctor or at least one that can help you. <clears throat> uh, uh, there are all kinds of reasons for it. I understand that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not putting that aside. I'm simply saying for me, my anxiety and my worry has been the fear that God is not really good. And you can, you can, you can dance around me all you want to about what the Bible says. I know, but I'm, that's what I'm saying where my struggle is. Here's a verse for me. <clears throat> Go to Luke, if you would. Because <clears throat> this idea of God with us in the valley, in the dark places... Here in Luke uh, chapter 24, I just want to draw your attention to something. It might be of some help to you about when you're in the valley and you don't feel God's presence. Uh, in chapter uh, 24, it begins at verse 36. And while he was telling him these things, this is Jesus telling these things. He says, peace be to you. And they were startled. <laughs> Remember, this guy just died on a cross. He's now in front of him. And he says, peace to you. And you go, whoa. What in the world's going on here? And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet that as I myself touch and see, for the spirit does not have flesh and bones, you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they could not believe it, because of what? You ever see that? What's their problem? Not enough evidence, not enough information. What's causing them to doubt? Joy, huh? It's too good to be true. Look at it. They could not believe it because of their joy. Listen, 
some of us got this internal battle going on when we go to the valley. That God couldn't be caring about me. I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough. I've done too much bad. He couldn't be caring about me in the valley. And some of us doubt him, not because we're just knuckleheads, although we are. We doubt it because it breaks every category in our brain that God could be this good. I want you to lean into that a little bit. I'm convinced that God is so much better than we could ever imagine or believe. That, that our own twisted up understandings of this, that He not only is with us, He wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. And so that David can say, listen, uh, uh, I, I don't fear evil. Or I, I can go through this thing. Why? I don't fear because I've got you with me. We teach our students at the university something called the ministry of presence. They learn to be with people when their loved ones are dying. Or they learn to be with a person when they've had a terrible setback. And we teach them, you don't have to say anything. Just be there. Just be there. You don't have to talk. You don't have to answer questions. You don't have to have all the answers to life. Just be there. Just let them know you're there. It's called the ministry of presence. I've told you before that on uh, June the 20th, 2013, my dad died. Um, I had been staying with my dad every other night, all night, to help him with medications. My sister would stay the other night. We were just rotating. And so we were doing this for weeks and weeks. And uh, one morning, <clears throat> I knew my dad was getting into distress. And I was trying to help him with some things, and then he really went into distress. And I was talking to him, quoting him verses and hymns. My dad was a poet. He loved hymnody. And I said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, which means feeling, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who to Jesus to refuge have fled? How firm a foundation you say. So I'm quoting this stuff to him. And my dad's not talking back. And I don't know what I had figured how death would occur because what was so amazing about this was in all the years of my ministry like that, I'd never been with a person who died. I'd either gone and they either died on the way when I was getting there or I went there and they got better and I left, you know. And, and so I'd never been with anybody ever who had died. Till my dad. And so I, I didn't know what, what's he going to do? How's he going to react? Is he going to raise his hands to heaven? And he just sat there in the bed and he just said this to me. Keep quoting me verses. I don't know what my dad felt. I, I don't know what he sensed. But I have the deep abiding awareness that those words of Scripture and him began to tell him and remind him that the shepherd was with him. Now, I'm going to tell you, I was a wreck. Uh, my mom could not even bear it. 
She couldn't be in the room while it was going on. She just, she just couldn't bear it. And I'm there by myself and realize that my dad has passed. I walk out of the house to the front porch. There's a little uh, some, uh, bench. <laughs> I'll get here. Soon. That I sat down just to sort of gather myself. I mean, I'd never been with a person who died before. This was the deepest, darkest valley I'd ever been in my life. And I look up, and Steve Seaton has just closed the door on his car and is walking right at me. And he said, something's happened, hasn't it? And I said, yeah. He said, I know. The Lord told me and for me to come see you. I can't tell you what that meant to me. You know what? I didn't feel the shepherd at that point. You know, I'm just coming uncorked in some ways. I mean, I wasn't screaming or crying like that, but which would be okay. But I just didn't have any sense of God's presence. And I'm in a valley. But guess what? His people showed up. Steve hadn't been dropping by to see us. He was with me at that moment. I want to say to you again, this shepherd will be with you in his word. He'll be with you through his spirit as he can communicate. And he'll be with you in his people as they demonstrate his presence in your life. And we could all talk about this right now. How that we've had people that God brought or a scripture that came or the spirit of God that was able to heal us. We got a couple of people I've talked to in this class that have been through some deep valleys and I'm asking them to give their testimony. Hopefully we're going to get that done next week. We got, we got some talking to do here, but I want to, I want to talk about getting through this deep valley. So here's what I want to ask you to consider in this. What if you determine to write down or memorize one of these passages? We talked about he's with us, with us, with us. Those passages in Matthew. How would believing this, how would believing these verses affect the way you think or act or believe? How would taking one of these verses say, you know what? Again, I, I don't feel that verse, but I believe it. I trust it because of the trustworthy God that gave it to me. So here he says, I fear no evil. It's evil. There's problems. There's a dark valley here. There's only one reason. It's not because the circumstances changed. It's not because things worked out. It's not because things got better. It's because you were with me. And you are with me. Can I ask you to consider that this week? How is God trying to help you understand that he's with you? Is it through his word? Is it through the spirit that's trying to communicate with you? I can tell you this. I was going to work the other day. And I, I told a friend of mine at the school. That you, you know, you may not want to come back to class after this, but. I was thinking on these things. I listened to some music. And, and I sensed the Spirit of God to say to me, Cliff, I'm with you. I love you. You know what I started doing? Arguing with him. That's why I'm saying you may not want to ever come back again. <laughs> I'm not kidding you now. I could take you to the place on I-44 where I'm saying, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I haven't been that good. No, Cliff, I, I love you. I'm with you. 
and I'm arguing. See, there's something down in us that makes us think we're not worthy of that. See, we can't believe it because it's too, what? Good. It's too good. And so I'm arguing. I'm going over the bridge there to the university. And then I, I had this. No, no, I'm telling you this. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> now, I don't have that happen very often. I'm not trying to suggest that I have the Spirit talking to me all the time and sensing that. You know, sometimes if we might get quiet and let the Spirit of God try to communicate with us, He just might. Or the Word of God that He might just use to drive it down in your soul. Or a friend or one of His people to be able to demonstrate his love to you. Whatever valley, whatever high place you're on in your life. That's what it means to be in his care. Let's pray, Lord Jesus. We're a bunch of wandering sheep. And we worry some. We worry we're not good enough. We worry we haven't done enough. We worry we've done too much. And the words of this that even when we walk through these deep valleys, you're with us. That's why we fear no evil. Would you help us this week through your word or your spirit or your people to be alert to and aware of that this is the life and this is what we can expect from you. You're better than we are. So we got to quit playing that game. You're kinder than we are. You are love. You're smarter than we are. You're more understanding and merciful than we are. You're more tolerant and forgiving than we are. Would you help us as these sheep that seem to wander learn more about you as the good shepherd? We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.